Tutorial Podcast, a podcast offering discussions and tutorials on nerdy subjects for people who aren't necessarily nerdy themselves. With you today, myself is your nerdy tutor, George, with me here today, Super Mom, my mom. Hey. Uh, so, we're doing a follow-up to what we were talking about last week, which we're, we were ta- primarily talking about Super Mario Brothers and kind of a little bit of um, the way the series has kind of expanded and grown. But part of our discussion also kind of landed on money almost in video games monetizing monetizing games so i have tried to do an exhaustive search as best as i can to find some more information for you um so first off one of the things we do need to kind of appreciate is that games cost money to make they and maintain and upgrade and and enhance to go with latest operating systems well i mean it all depends really on the focus of the game. Again, you'll have, you have kind of two different major industries right now that make video games. We call uh, one of them the AAA market, which is basically like these are going to be your Sonic the Hedgehogs, your Grand Theft Autos, your major Call, pl- of, Call of Duty, yeah. BS, World of Warcraft. These are your major games in which these are studios with hundreds and hundreds of people building the games. And then you have other another category of games called indie games, and these are often done by very not necessarily small very small teams, but teams made up of maybe no more than maybe twenty people in a lot of cases, where a lot of them are filling in multiple roles. The scopes of these games tend to be a lot smaller necessarily, or rely more on maybe simpler mechanics in some cases, but are done in a unique way. Um, one of my favorite examples of this is a ge- is a game called Fez, where it was generated, where it was literally made by, f- I believe, like four, just four or five people at the end of the day. Um, oh, it, do tell me it's about about the Medina and Fez. No, um, but it is actually it does revolve around a magical Fez that. Um, so the game itself the is hat. a hat. So what the game is is that it's a two D side scroller. So you kind of kind of like Mario, where you walk left and right. But what's interesting is that depending on where you are, you can actually rotate the entire world and now get a new plane to be on. So you might be climbing up a cliff or a tower as such, and then you rotate the world and now you're on the other side of the cliff or the other side of the box. And that might have, so you may only be able to get so far on that cliff, you rotate the world and then you're on a different side of the cliff that lets you progress further up it as an example. So that's your problem solving. Yeah, and that's the kind of unique flavor that was Fez at the time. Okay. Um, it had a very simple, pixelated sort of graphic sort of look. It wasn't all that. Um, it was very. It was mean for what it was. For the pixelated look, which was kind of at a resurgence in indie games because it's easy to do. Yeah. Um, and there's a certain charm to it. Yeah, and there's a certain charm and beauty to it at the same time. Um, but again, Minecraft. Minecraft. Minecraft is a, is kind of a very blocky Nintendo sixty four era look. Yeah. Um, but was but again the game was sold remarkably well, um, and for a small scope of what it was, it did from phenomenally well. Now, so so you've said okay, so there's there's big and small. Mm-hmm. Um, where do all the like word for word you know word for friend with friends and those sorts of things fit in there? It differs a little bit. A lot more. I mean, again, I mean, you could have some mobile games that you might find, like Angry Birds. I understood was on was made by a team of about fifty some odd people. Um, 
but I've seen other games on the phone which could have been done by about a hundred some odd people. Um, and it really just all depends on, you know, the scope of the game, how big it is, and then how much staff you're willing to have at the same time. Because you can have a game that has... Or, or that it requires. Well, I mean, requires, requires, but it also might be how much you're willing to have. Okay. Again, the more staff you have, the more people you have to pay to help produce it. Right, but the more levels of the game you have... Mm-hmm. Because nobody wants to max out levels. I mean, don't don't as your players play, don't you constantly have to be developing and expanding it? Not necessarily. There's some games which just have the base game, and that's it. You can have games that have continual expansion and continual um, updating. Games like that, like World of Warcraft, uh, Grand Theft Auto Five, big games in which you spent lots and lots of money to get started and get built up which required all these 3d engines you can have what they call additional content to that to add to the story but if you're telling a single narrative story there's an end to the story and if you want to continue it you can but it's not often expected especially if the game doesn't do necessarily well um but there's a lot of ways in which the games themselves cost quite a bit because there's a lot of individual people you need and while this list is not an extensive list of all of it these are some some basic ones that i found and so or the basics that i think you really do need is that you need game designers these are people that are going to help build the worlds build the mechanic you know design the mechanics of like and, and again we're going to take this all as an example of like mario as an example just because that's mm-hmm. what we talked about you know this is these are the people that said oh mario jumps and then he stomps on people or they hit blocks or you you know those are game designers people that help shape the world and how it should work but you gotta have somebody to program that and these are the people that actually make what you want to have happen happen so these are people who take the you know make Mario into just a, basically a simple block and other things in the simple blocks and just test that over and over again to make sure that the programming language works it doesn't bug out midway through there's no failure analysis f- yeah a lot of that um after that, you're going to have your video games are very much a visual medium, so you need to have graphics to go along with it. Now, it's not to say all games will have animation tied with it, but I mean, like, the better games tend generally yeah. tend to, but not all games need it. Final Fantasy, very early versions of the game had, you know, the animation was two different sprites, one with their arm up and another arm with their arm down, and that was it. They didn't need a whole lot more after that, and then if you wanted to have them cheering, they just move their arms up and down simultaneously. So it wasn't a lot of... Because a lot of that game was about stats and abilities rather than the actual animation of the characters. Later okay. games would be far more detailed than about that. But, okay. But you need people to do graphic design, animations, because you also need to de- design how does everything look as well. You need to have UI elements of the game. How do you know Mario's big, small? How do you know how many points or time you should have left? How many coins have you collected? Those are elements you might need to figure out where they go in the game. And then as well, because games are very much a visual media, they also have a sound component as well. So you have to have somebody that designs the music of the game, if there's going to be music. You might have to have a person who designs... Um, the feedback to the animation. So, like, if for what, example, what what goes boom? Yeah. So, if like Mario jumps, does it sound like there's a jump that goes off with that? You know, to give you help, give you the feel of a jump going off. Is there a sound that happens when you stomp on an enemy? Is there a sound that happens when you 
break a block. You know, somebody's got to figure all that stuff out as well. Uh, after that, you have uh, testers. These are people who will test your game to make sure that it's not broken. Um, and they, and depending on the type of game, like, um, let's say like a super smash brothers, as an example, they might also help you with the balancing aspect of it as well. So you might get people who play the game and they'll, and they'll come back and tell you Mario's too overpowered in this game. You need to, we need to figure out how to dial this back. And so that might give you good information, but their feedback might also give you good ideas for what to do in the future as well, or if not in that same game. Okay. Um, and then lastly, you have producers. It's a little bit more of a, of a nebulous sort of role, but they're kind of like the um, kind of like a shift manager, if you will, of the video game. They're ones that kind of figure out, make sure everyone has the tools that they need to do the game. They're coordinating uh, deadlines as well as making sure that certain tasks are complete. Um, and they're also trying to ensure that the game's vision doesn't get lost at all. So if like you're building a a Mario game, it doesn't turn into a golf game by accident. No, no. What I haven't had heard you say is, is there's got to be somebody who storyboards it. Well, that would be a game designer. Okay, so that's the game designer, and then there's got to be like a graphic artist. And again, that would be your graphic design and your animations. Okay. Um, not all games have a story to it. Mario in itself figured out the game first and then added a story element to it later. Um, but depending on the game that you're trying to do, like if you're trying to do a Final Fantasy game, you know, part of that is figuring out what the mechanics are, but very much a large part of people coming to play those games are for the stories and the characters. You'll have literal story writers, artists, authors that come in to build out those worlds. Um, and in some cases, they'll take their own notes when they make the game and actually publish books for the game. This happened with... This has happened with a lot of games in, in which there's a rich narrative that's happened, but the game only focuses on a small portion of it, while this person who wrote all this stuff created all this extra material so he can go build out books that would help promote the game as well. Um, and But again, that's not even to say this is all the people you need. If you have a much bigger game, you might have, you need HR, you need people in marketing, sales, you're going to need people who are coordinating your integration with your consoles. So again, if you're playing on like a, if you're planning to play this on a mobile device, like an Android or Apple, you need to have somebody that's making sure that the game actually plays on these things and integrates properly. So you need a guy that does that. Or if you, you have- Make a, the adjustments to make it, yeah. make it, yeah. Or if you have a person that's, you know, working on the Switch, for example, you need to have somebody who either from Nintendo or works directly with Nintendo to make sure that it's in line with what Nintendo puts out typically for their games. Because Nintendo has a very clear vision and a very clear um, sort of criteria for the games that it puts out. Well, and and then you go to the whole the whole leap to um, things like World of Warcraft where you're playing on an online site. Yeah, and then you're going to have people that are... So as an example with like World of Warcraft, because that was a game that we played... Um, when they finish building, so when they build the expansions, they start on the expansions almost immediately after they they put out that for that last expansion. So when, so as an example, when they put out Battle for Azeroth, which is the current expansion right now, they already were beginning work on Shadowlands, which is what they're aiming for release later on this year. Um, and I'm assuming sometime probably in August or September is most likely when they'll release that because it's kind of within line with what they've released in the past. Uh, but they, but again, there was people who were building out the game, and then you have, so they built out the original first version of the of the expansion. Then there's the different patches that come out 
periodically. And there's a team that still works on that element, while there's a second part of the team that's working on the next future of the game. So there's a team maintaining, Mm -hmm. and then there's a team developing. Well, there's almost actually three teams, because there's a team that helps... There's a team that's developing the next content, but then there's another team that's helping to balance the content. Because that balanced content can change because, oh, we figured oh, they figured out if you do this, this, and this, it becomes really, really popular. So now everyone's playing an arcane mage when weeks before everyone was playing um, an assassination rogue, as an example, or we're playing a marksman hunter. Like sometimes the community finds a, cla- um, a class and a set of abilities that are way overpowered and play that. And then it stops it from ever, from being... Developing in other ways, yeah, having balance. Yeah, I yeah. get it. I get it. Because if everybody's a mage, then, then uh, you still need your warriors. And... You still need your warriors, your priests, and the other people who yeah. are playing the game. But you want every, you want the people who, you know, play as a fire mage, as an example, to be just as powerful as somebody who plays an arcane mage because you want to have you want to have people playing the style that they want to play because it's fun. Because you want people to have fun to keep playing. Yeah. So games like so games like that, and certainly even um, online games, a lot of mobile games that have collectibles and things like that, have continuous teams that are help developing the next phase of whatever's coming out. They might also be improving UI elements or making or finding ways to improve upon the game uh, on itself. So it either looks more polished, looks better, or even just has um, what we might term as a quality of life improvement. So, like, instead of having to go back to one central place, you just learn all your spells in World of Warcraft. Beforehand, you had to go back to your trainer in the city every two levels and buy a whole bunch of spells, which was insane. And then over t- as time went on in World of Warcraft, you eventually just, instead of having to buy the next rank of the spells, so instead of, like, a rank one fireball, you'd have to go and buy two, three, four, five, and six you could just go back to the town and you'd be like, oh, I'm now learning Fireball. You would just learn it and it would level up with you. Now the game just, now because for quality of life issues, the game just gives you the spell when you level up. So when you reach a certain level in which you'd be able to use it, you would just buy it outright. You granted it, yeah. Yeah, we just get it outright. Okay. So there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of elements to these games um, that... Again, cost quite a bit of money, and again, in a lot of these studios are hundreds and hundreds of people, and in some cases, working on multiple projects. So you might have a team of three or four hundred people working on the new Star Wars game, but there's another team just across the way that are working on the next Call of Duty, and the next one across the way is working on the next uh, expansion to an MMO in some cases. Well, see, and I would think that, that would actually give you a certain economy of scale because you're tasking people to their skill set and in using them across the board it gives you two benefits i would think one would be that that it plays consistently between games Mm -hmm. because you have the same people doing the coding yeah um and and the other would be that when that task is done they can move on to the next thing and you're not losing your talent pool ideally you'd think that was that would be the way there's um a lot of cases in which a game company will hire a bunch of people as contractors for certain mm-hmm. certain roles. So if there is you know, so not every game is going to require a physics engine. And a physics engine is basically 
when a ball drops, what does it do when it hits the ground? Or if you drop the ball, it drops in such a certain way where it accelerates to the ground and then bounces. Okay, so how does it manage gravity? Yeah, how does it manage gravity? Or how does cloth work in certain games? Like, how does cloth flow in games or hair integration? Now, these are elements that are probably very natural to some games, but you have different sort of... But if you're developing a game... You need so you know you might ha- you might hire a person that's a specialist in sort of like physics engines, or you might hire a person that's um, an expert in lighting effect in certain lighting yeah. effects, and so you might just hire them for a short period of time, and then once the game is developed, you don't necessarily need them for the next one you're going to move on to. You may keep them, but not necessarily. So there's a lot of people that basically go from company to company every couple months to a year, every couple months or years. Okay. Um, and that's why a lot of places like Seattle, Austin, and Irvine here. In, so Irvine, California, Austin, Texas, uh, Seattle. These are big hubs for video game development as well as just uh, computer technology as well. And because those are big hotspots, you can base yourself in Irvine and know that, oh, well, if I'm not working for Blizzard, there's another company down the way. I have a friend that works there. Let me ask them if they need talent or something i'm a graphic designer or i'm an animator or something because um, not all studios use the same software to do that as well well and, and it seems to me like like you also have uh you know we've been talking about games written for adults but you also have so many games now written for for kids mm-hmm. i mean i watch i watch my granddaughters play all sorts all sorts of things yeah and those were a lot of games in which I can't speak to what my nieces are playing primarily. I mean, if they're playing anything on the Nintendo, those are probably made by somebody anywhere from a 20 to 100 man team. Mario is an example. The Mario Odyssey uh, was made of used made with about a team of about 80 some odd people in Japan. Um, and that's including like Shigeru Miyamoto and the top brass people as well. Um, but if they're playing a simpler games, you know, that could be made with us with a, again, a small team of 10 to 15 people. And, that's not also to assume that you need certain elements for your office as well. You might need the hardware and technology as well. So you might have to, um, depending on the game that you're building, you might have to license out the physics engine that you're using or the or the, right. the um, software that runs the game as well. Um, but you also need to have these workstations that will <laughs> run it properly. Right. And these are pretty expensive uh gaming not necessarily gaming but they're development development workstations that are pretty expensive in some cases um i'm sure um and then if you're building for a console you need to have a uh developer's kit so you might have to go to nintendo and buy a thousand dollar switch development kit so that you can test it you can test the you know the switch controllers the switch screens and elements on there that'll you know this is a workstation that'll run it but then here's also the actual hardware so you can move it over there easily yeah. and not have and you can connect it with the workstation so you're not overloading a single system with builds um and again if you're a smaller studio what you might do as well is you might buy your stuff ahead of time so you might buy um character models and then layer on additional details onto that um and for a lot of and for a lot of people especially if you're trying to get a company to a publisher to to buy to basically help fund your game you can buy some pre-bought you can buy some pre-created assets for your game that will help 
show them what it will look like in the future you know like these are all just pre-bought assets we need to then you might or you might modify it to what you need so you might you know it's like going out and buying um buying um like an Acura car but then modding it out to be the race car that you really want it to be okay so I have an analogy and you can tell me if I'm wrong so so when we're designing buildings and we're we're getting to the point where we're doing elevations mm-hmm. and we want to put people in furniture and things like that so we can give a, an appropriate street view of, of it, um, we will actually pay for models of, of people that are already graphically done that can just be dropped onto the graphic drawing of the building. Yep, there's, there's a good example. So, so, so we're, pay, we're paying for like things to insert in the background. So another good example of this might be: Have you ever gone to an open house and they've had already had furniture inside there? Where it's looks, staged, yeah. Where it's like it's yeah. So that'd be like store bought assets, where you buy these store bought assets with the with the intention of that we're either going to build new stuff or we're going to modify this stuff to our needs. So like a basic dog might actually be a wolf later in the game, but you're using it just as a dog right now to show your proof of concept and how your game is the mechanics or the universe of your game that's going to be more unique. Okay. Um, and it's certainly, even for certainly some smaller developers, this is a big um, help because maybe if you help, if you have something that builds a giant, you know, um, 3D area for you, you can layer on a city and towns and other stuff in it that will help save some time for you so you can modify it as necessary so you're not having to build out a giant open world, you know, from blank, essentially. Okay. That makes sense. And then obviously the next one obviously is just going to be time. You know, there are some indie games which are, which their creators will spend weeks or months making, but at that point they're doing it pretty much full time. As where there's other indie developers that will spend um, years making a single game because they're doing it in their off time and there's four or five people. Fez is a good example of a game that took over two years um, with the eventual developer, I think, spending the last six months or so working on it full time. Um, but he had done it primarily in his off time beforehand as kind of a curiosity project and eventually mm-hmm. said there's probably something here. Um, but then you've got your really big games, again, like World of Warcraft and your Star Wars and your um, Grand Theft Autos. Those are games that will take two, three years, maybe even four to develop. Um, in the case of like World of Warcraft, they're putting out an expansion about every uh, 20 to 24 months or every about two years or so. Uh-huh. Um, but they're also working from a basis of which the game actually already works. They already have a lot of these tools and assets for the game already. They're either building new assets for the game or in, or and then they're building rebuilding out the world. And then they're also doing balancing and elements on there so while their iteration takes a lot less because they're working from a basis of a template already you have a game like uh star wars fallen order which is a really good game by the way um which had to build out its entire world and everything for it so they had to figure out how their characters move and lightsabers move they had to figure out um how realistic do do their rag do, do the physics that they need for their characters you know, there's a great element in Star Wars games where does the lightsaber actually cut stuff off, or does it just swipe through people like a like a sword almost? Because again, if you think about it, a lightsaber should just cut through anything. Yeah. So you cut through an arm, you cut through an arm, but that's often not the case. Even in the movies, you see the movies, 
um, with the exception of the dro- of, of they're cutting up the droids in like the first prequels, but somebody using a lightsaber never cuts off an arm or anything like that. And, or and again, the exception of uh, Luke Skywalker as well. But yeah. lightsabers are routinely showed. Oh, you just strike a person, then they're down. They never see them cut in half or anything. Yeah. So it is a game like that. They had to literally build out everything. So that's why it took them almost four years to make that game. As we're a game again, like World of Warcraft, where you already have the assets already built into it there, they're already in a good condition and set. So now let's, maybe now we can move into how games make money. Okay, how do they make money? So, um, so the basic notion of games to make money, is there's a couple different ways you can make money. Um, the first one is probably the most obvious. It's the basic box retail storefront kind of model. This is sell the cartridge. You sell the cartridge from like 1989 is Super Mario Brothers three. Go to Funstop. You go to go to Toys R Us. GameStop. Game, well, you go to GameStop. You buy your game and then you take it home and then you put it in the machine and you just play the game. This is the most basic version of the game that exists. It's the most common version that you might find for most console games as well. Um, certainly a lot of PC games act like this as well in which you have to, you buy just the physical game and then you don't pay anything else for it or you just, you own it. or there's an upfront price to, to, to playing the game. World of Warcraft, um, has a base version of the game, which costs like 50 bucks to get into it. And every expansion is about 40 bucks after that. And over the years, they eventually just kind of wrap up other expansions into the, the base game. So if you're playing, if you're getting into the game at like Battle for Azeroth, you're already getting Legion, Warlords of Draenor, Cataclysm, uh, Wrath of the Lich King, uh, the Burning Crusade, and the other games kind of already wrapped into that already. So you're not having to pay an extra fee for those. But you have to pay an initial so fee. So what's the difference between playing playing it that way and playing it online with other players? Wouldn't you rather play it online with other players? Well, you can only play it with other players. It's, it's, you, oh, okay. A, so when you install it, you're still you're still playing it you're, so, out on the... Yeah, so again, this is a basic retail model where like you go and buy a car, but then your subscription cost is the fuel that you put into the car frequently. Got it. So there's there's games like... There's a lot of... But again, there's this is the most basic model game people make games. And again... When a lot of games, for example, like Grand Theft Auto, cost two hundred sixty-five million dollars to make, they need to sell about five million, about at least four million copies of this game, to just to break even. They've and done the, that. They've they've done that, <laughs> but this is before you get to yeah. additional things you can do in the game. Okay. Um, but keep in mind that if you have a basic retail version of this, is that somebody's going to have to pay? You have to pay somebody else to do your game as well. So. If you're working on like Sony, Nintendo, or the Microsoft Xbox platforms, you have to pay them a certain amount of money to just get your thing on their to system. license it. Yeah. So, so a question that that brings up is how many platforms does a major game come out on? It will depend. I mean, there's a lot of games that are purposely exclusives because they sell uh, the product. Yeah. And what's actually interesting about consoles as well is that often consoles, especially in the very early span of their life, are actually sold at a loss because they obligate you to buy games for that system, and they can get you. They can get you on the actual retail of the games as well, like buying a Polaroid camera. Yeah. So again, it's if all you in the film. Yeah. So if you buy a Polaroid camera, you have to buy the film. The film's more expensive than yeah. the actual camera, and this is true of the consoles, like the Xbox One is an, the Xbox One is an example. You know, retail at about uh, three ninety nine to four ninety nine, depending on which version you got. 
but all the technology in there is anywhere from around 600 700 to maybe even 800 at the time for the various chipsets and other stuff like that now as time goes on these become the chips become easier to make and labor becomes more efficient so you can round out a lot of that cost but a lot of these consoles when you first get them sell at a loss because of their technology so, so true story um when your when your brother did his gift registry for his wedding and he looked at everything they were choosing and it was all pretty much stuff for the house and and um and and he as a lark put on there an xbox Whatever the new, it was... No, no, he, he put on a Wii U. A Wii U, okay. So it was basically, it was something that was between 400 and $500 at the time. No, it would have been around maybe like $300 or so, maybe. Was it? Okay. So he put that on his his gift registry mm-hmm. as just sort of a ha, 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 here's something for me. Mm-hmm. And my boss's wife gave it to him. Yeah. Yeah, he told me the story when he first when he first showed it off. I was like, "Oh, cool! You where'd you get that from?" It was like, it was a wedding he, gift. It was a wedding gift. I was like, "Well, f f you, <laughs> putting that in my registry next time." Yeah, her thing was was she actually got to buy something she knew they'd use, and she was delighted. Oh yeah, no, again, I mean like, but but I I I, I never would have considered a gaming system as a as a wedding gift. Yeah, yeah. Um. So even if you're not building for one of those major manufacturers, like those major gaming consoles, if you're on the PC, there's a client called Steam, which is like a marketplace for video games. They'll charge you a fee for to be on there as well. Uh-huh. Um, because if you're on Steam, Steam will help you advertise your game and get your game out there, host reviews, host updates. Everything's for a fee. Yeah. So um, if you're on a mobile game like the Android or Apple, there's a fee to get on the store as well. Um, so there's always going to be some sort of fee for these things that come so out. So there's a fee to be in the Apple's apps uh, store? Yes. Okay. Well, um, I guess it makes sense. There's also a rigorous testing process that goes through that. It's often termed going gold. Okay. Um, because they don't want to... It's the game company coming back and saying, we can't have your game on our system. Your game dis- your game breaks our breaks our machines. Or we can't have you on your ga- we can't have your game on our system. It's reading personal data of other people and sending it back. There's some games that do this or, or embed uh, Trojan horses and other malicious software. In oh, there so well. oh, so whoever whoever's platform you're on, say mm-hmm. say you're on an Android, so you're on a, a um, Samsung. Yeah. Samsung's gonna gonna test it or yes, yeah, Samsung own... Samsung will get a version of it. They'll test it on their devices and there will be a person that so that delays you putting out that could that could delay you putting out as well So if you wanted to be out for christmas you'd have to build into your timetable the amount of time it might take your september okay yeah a lot in a lot of cases a lot of games when they come out um have been prepared since three months prior um and their marketing campaigns have might have started since six months prior to that even if not sooner okay um but that time frame for an example in the case of like uh, mario where you you have to build the cases and the cartridges you have to figure yeah. out you know the game is good to go it's not going to be malicious if there's any sort of minor tweaks you want to make this is the last chance you get to make it before we put the information on the cartridges or on the discs in yeah, a lot of cases you hard write it. Yeah. um 
and so it's and then also putting it up onto the storefront is not is not a simple matter it's not as a simple matter of you got to have somebody who creates the page for it creates all the ui elements what gets featured what doesn't what does the blurb look like yeah so there's a lot of games in which marketing there's yeah. a whole marketing component yeah so games might be completed in september but don't get released until december also because december is a great month to buy stuff because people will want will be willing to buy it as where if you were to put it out in January or February, people would be less likely to buy it because they already spent all their money for Christmas. Christmas. Although there's, I imagine there's another release once tax returns start getting done. Yeah, there's a there's a lot I know, of. I know a, for some people that's a big big a, buying. April, yeah. April, March, April, and May tend to be yeah. good points for that. Um, the next element you can have for your game, and, and now mind you, not all these games are. These are all elements you can have for in games for, to make money. Um, there's not one single version of a model for this. These are a lot of various models, and a lot of these are often hybrids of other stuff. So the next one is a subscription model. Now, this is the case of World of Warcraft, but this is also the case of almost every major console system as well, from Nintendo, PlayStation, and Xbox. They offer what they call their live services features. Um, and basically what this allows is that... The retailer can make a base game, but it has like an online component to it. Mm -hmm. So um, as an example here, Animal Crossing, which is a great game I'm playing right now. I'll put my friend code in there so you can visit my island, which has nothing on it right now. Well, you it's, just started. Yeah, I only started like a week ago. Um, but it has an online feature which allows you to visit other people's islands. Now, there has to now, and it also say it backs up your data as well into a master server, uh, a master server as well. So this fee that you pay it could be either monthly or yearly goes into supporting those server costs and those, um, but you might have a game like World of Warcraft where all these people have to connect onto a game server and then you have to create various little pocket servers for battlegrounds and dungeons and raids and uh, specialty locations. So uh, there's a subscription fee that goes into maintaining that sort of now stuff. Now, what, what is a sample subscription fee? Like, how much is World of Warcraft? So, World of Warcraft in itself, depending on how many... Um, it, as, in and of itself, is 15 bucks a month. Okay, now, that's not bad. Yes, but if you, if you go out further than that, if you are... Depending on how many months ahead of time you're buying out for it... Oh, discounts. You get discounts. So, okay. if you're, so if you're going to pay for three months, it's, instead of being $15 a month, it's about 14 bucks a month. And if you're paying for about six months out, now it's about 12 bucks a month. Okay. So you can get a deal as time goes on. Much and um, and that's also true of um, like PlayStation's. No, it's true of Dropbox. Yeah. So, so it's the same sort of subscription model. Yeah. So again, it's a subscription-based element, um, and again, it'll differ between like monthly and yearly. Um, in other parts of the world, like China, as an example, people don't play. You play World of Warcraft by the hour. Oh. Um, because most people don't have gaming systems to be able to play from home, much less internet connection. So a lot of people go to game okay. parlors and, and so internet like the cafes. internet, like the old internet cafes. Yeah, so the internet okay. cafes, but they're gaming cafes essentially. And okay. You basically we you kind of went we went to some gaming cafes in Japan. Was is that what that would be like? No, those are just actual arcades. Those were actually okay. And I love those arcades. Those, those things are those are pretty cool. Like nesty, like everything's pushed way too close together. In social like, distancing, not a lot. Well, social distancing, not an option. Yeah. Um, but oh, yeah. So a subscription model is an option, especially if you have a long-term game in which 
you're expecting people to play for months or for weeks, months, years. Yeah. Um, it, it might be an element for you. Um, the element, you, the other one you might have is what they call a free to play game, which are not really free to play. Nothing's free to play. No, but a free to play game. Full might, of ads. Yeah. So a free to play game might be um, a game like Angry Birds, where you can download it for free and you can play it for free. Yeah. But if you wanted to, there's thing. It finds ways to make money through there, though. It'll and sell you things. It'll try to sell you things, or it'll have advertisements. Is there a big thing? Um, but usually, in a free-to-play game, it will gate your ability to move on through the game, mm-hmm. to either progress through it quickly or progress through certain levels without either viewing an advertisement or buying sort of some sort of unlock or currency. Um, a great example again. In Angry Birds, was that they used to have um, a banner that would be at the top of the, at the top of the level for like the first bird or so for like the first like five seconds. So, and usually these advertisements usually were advertising something not associated with the game. They yeah. weren't offering like, oh hey, buy, go 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 price your auto insurance. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, or in a lot of games, what they'll do is they'll make you watch a video advertisement after you finish the le- after you finish the game, like Subway Runners. Um, or Subway Surfers, excuse me, has this thing where after you finish the level and you get caught, you have to watch an ad for like 10, 15 seconds, and then you can move on. Yeah. And a lot of games do that in which they're trying to sell you other mobile games or... It's the YouTube model. Yeah. Yeah. Very much true. Um, and then there's the what we call the freemium model. Now, freemium is um, the notion that um, you have to pay money to progress through the game, either through uh, a premium in-game currency, um, or which is where you can the only way you can buy certain stuff in the game, like unlocks or time gates. So, so um, as an example, there was a game called Dungeon um, Dungeon Keeper, I believe, which you'd build out a you you were building out like this dungeon over time. So you set your guys to go build a portion of the dungeon. It's a very, very tiny little portion. It would tell you, come back in 18 hours. And then this portion of the dungeon will be done being built. If you or, wanted to bypass Or that. if you wanted to bypass that, you can pay me X amount of money to do that. Yeah. And so that's the, free, that's the freemium model. And it's usually often to um, gate progress to a certain extent. Like, there's a lot of games that you can play that... You never have to buy the freemium currency, the the premium currency ever, to progress through the game. It either, uh, but if you bought the currency, it would help you get through it quicker. Well, and it's interesting because I think the the few things that I've played on Facebook, a lot of them are that that you get five plays. Mm-hmm. Five seems to be the magic number. You get five plays, and then once those five plays are over, you either have to wait an hour, a day, uh, whatever. Um, before you get another one, it might be 30 minutes. So to bypass that, you have to buy diamonds or buy whatever's, um, so that, so that you can, and then you can buy the right to, to continue to play without having to wait through that time period. Sounds like the same thing. Candy Crush was a very, Candy Crush. A great example. Was a great, is a great example. It's a game I, I kind of appreciated initially because it was like, okay, it's a match three um, it's basically like a matchery like Bejeweled, which I enjoy Bejewel a whole bunch. Yeah. Um, but with like sometimes like limitations and puzzle elements that were kind of fun. So, yeah, and it changed. Like, and, it, and every level sort of changed, but you got to a point in which... You had to spend money in order to get, get past well, things. Well, the part of the problem was is that they're puzzles and you get five tries to get through. You might get like 
five tries to get through the puzzle, you know, because you only play like five times every like hour or so. Yeah. But the problem was the puzzles had, didn't give you unlimited moves. They gave you very limited moves and then you couldn't, you know, like it wasn't a puzzle that you could actually solve. So the game was purposely doing this in a way that was forcing you to buy yeah. the currency. Yeah. So, so, so as you got up levels, like, like once you got like above a thousand games. Mm-hmm. You, the only way to win would be to, or, or on some of the levels, would be to um, have have sort of bonus features that you could explode yeah, or replace you could, or whatever. Yeah, you could explode stuff or you yeah. could buy additional or, attempts. Or help, you know, knock it down or whatever. And and so it, it sort of forced you to... Have to pay. To have to pay, yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, but freemium model is usually something you'll find more often in mobile markets. Okay. Because... Um, the games can be simpler in a lot of cases. They're not highly detailed. Yeah. There's not a, it's not a huge amount of money going into it. But it's also really great for games um, that have uh, collectibles or lots of different elements you can get. Collectibles are very popular in that particular respect. Okay, that uh, makes sense. Next one you might have is just base advertisements. And so again, this kind of goes And back... some combination thereof. Yeah, so again, in some cases you might have... Uh, in-game advertisements for a game. so it Or is along the side. Yeah, so an example, like Grand Theft Auto occasionally has, as you drive through the city, there's billboards and different ads that are out there, and those will change periodically based off of who's paying for those ad spaces in the game. So you might have, um, typically not um, political campaign ads, but more retail stuff at the end of the day as well. Um, but you might, but you might see these billboards in the games changing up periodically to sell you new stuff like, oh, hey, visit Subway and stuff like that. Um, beyond that, what you might have, you might have product placement. So you might actually have a Subway in Grand Theft Auto is somewhere you can go buy or, um, especially in the case of, uh, Grand Theft Auto where there's a lot of cars, you might have the actual cars in the game. So you might have a Ford, uh, a Ford F-150 or the new Toyota Acura sort of games here as well. You might have these. Um, product placements in the game um, as a way of doing the game. But you might also have sponsorships for games as well. Oh, okay. And so what's interesting here is that um, you might have a... You might have, like, Mountain Dew sponsoring, you know, a tournament for Call of Duty, as an example, or some sort of sponsorship like that that allows the company to... that where hey, we're sponsoring this game, and here's some money that the game company can make off of helping advertise the game further, um, which is not uncommon in a lot of tournaments as well. So, like, there's always a sponsor for tournaments. It's rarely just the game developer um, doing the game, doing the full details of all the, of the game as well. But that's not uncommon as well. Okay. Um, so advertisements are a big way of doing that. Oh. I'm trying to think back. There was a, a solitaire game I played for a while that actually would have you watch. Um, you could earn uh, points, dollars, bonus, whatever, coins, um, by watching a 30-second ad. That was the official Microsoft Solitaire. Oh, okay. Which is why it's no Which, as much as I love Free Cell, I love the game Free Cell. I could play yeah. that all yeah, day long. Yeah, and this and probably was Free Cell. Yeah. Yeah. And when Microsoft went to this new model and it was like, oh, you have to actually download it, which okay, I understand, um, especially as a lot of their systems were being used for his workstations. Yeah. Um, but that there were ads in a simple game that was free, you know, in every other iteration, it was just like you couldn't play free sale anymore. Yeah. Um, 
that was a problem there. Um, there are some games that will sell your data. Now, when I say sell your data, what they're doing here is that they are selling your game data as a sort of, this is how often a person is playing this game. These are the games that... Analytics. Yeah, they're selling analytics usually. Um, Depending on the game, which is always one of those reasons why you should kind of read the um, user end agreement or the terms of service. Who reads those? I know, but you really should because sometimes games will... um, Sometimes games, especially in mobile cases, will scan your phone for your websites that you visit. And build in and send that off for marketing sense. It's well, one of the, Facebook does it. Yeah, it was one of those cases in which um, when I was first looking up, um, what was it? I was look, when I was first looking up a video game to see if it was something I wanted to play. Um, I decided I didn't want to play it, but every ad I got after that on Google Ads was all about, oh hey, this one game, you really should buy this one game. Yeah. And every ad I went to always had this one game, and it was just like yeah. assholes. Yeah. But again, this is. But again, the, there are some games that will do that. They're a lot more scrupulous and not very reputable games. But, but again, I mean, they're well hidden throughout, um, throughout the terms of service. So, again, selling your your analytics sort of data to different companies or selling your information to marketing stuff is commonplace as well. Yeah. Well, so. it is. It is across the board, though. The next way we can do video game companies can make money is what we call off of uh, DLC or downloadable content. Now, the way I describe this is that this is stuff in addition to the game. So you have like the base model of the game that you buy, uh-huh. but these are additional stuff you can purchase for the game. So a good example of this might be um, in the uh, WWE's uh, 2K wrestling video game. You can buy new uh, wrestlers. So wrestlers that may have not been out with the original game, you know, that came out six months ago. Hey, there's a new popular wrestler that came in. Hey, you can buy Goldberg. So you're augmenting. Yeah, so you're adding content. Okay. Um, And DLC is often very common, which like you said, uh, the expansions for World of Warcraft can very much be seen as DLC content because they're adding more content to the original base game. Um, in some cases, adding new characters because a new character might play a game through a different way, um, or it might unlock a new variant of the sk- of of a character. So instead of playing as Mario, you play as Luigi. Okay. Um, it might also be something as simple as new levels or new mechanics. It's usually in a case where it's adding on to the base game. Okay. Now, in a lot of cases, some of this DLC content is actually already on the game, but it wasn't intended to be included with the original game. So you might have characters that are already in the game that you have to buy to unlock. Oh. Which is kind of which is kind of unscrupulous. Yeah, well, but maybe you decide that's how you wanted to monetize the game once the game was designed because mm-hmm. it ran you more than you thought it would. Or in some cases this was your original scope of your game, but over the course of time you figured out, "Oh, well, I have extra time because again, like we said, when a game goes gold before it comes out, you might have three or four months of spare time. Yeah. And what you can do in those cases might be is, oh, well, here's a character that people were really, really popular, really, really had a lot of interest in. Well, let's build a DLC for her. Let's put her in yeah. there. So day one, people can go and get that character right away. Yeah. And that's very common with a lot of games um, for, for which DLC would be, is intended to be, 
additional content. Now, there's another way you can do it as well, where you are um, something called what we might call microtransactions for content that's already in the game. This is also kind of goes back a little bit to our freemium model, yeah, um, a bit, but it might be, um, you know. Let's say, for example, you got the new Smash Brothers game. Now, typically, you have to go through the storyline to unlock all the characters on there. Or you have to do certain achievements or certain goals to get the different characters. So if you really want to play as Falco, like you might have to unlock certain stuff that might take you a couple days or hours or weeks to get. Well, you could also just pay five bucks and unlock everything. That seems pretty cheap. It's not bad in some cases. Again, I mean, yeah. but but again, I mean, it's a way of gating content. Yeah. Um, in World of Warcraft, they've released a bunch of additional characters that you, different character races that you can get. So they have, um, so as an example for the Alliance, they now have a um, a thick human, which is like a big, big pot belly human that's really tall. They're much more bigger humans, but they're kind of more proportional to what some people might be, which is why I enjoy those kind of humans. They also have a um, um, a new elf model, which is basically the old elf model that's just darker colored. Okay. Um, they also have because well, you want to have a, a, a creature that looks like you. Well, well, not only that, but I mean, like their elves are their the blood elves on the horde side are very are very beautiful, model esque looking. And now, and the alliance, and those were a race of characters were always kind of the elves are with the humans, they're with the good guys because they're good people. Right. The fact that they got into the horde side because they're mean because they're now mean but they're there was in the in the grand scheme of the world of warcraft those the the bloodles are very popular races because they're pretty looking yeah um because a lot of the other horde characters are not very pretty looking um but there's all these new variants of these characters that got released and right now in game you have to unlock elements you have to unlock through reputation grinds and other sort of specialty achievements to get these characters so if you on day one to day one wanted to play a big human you'd have to wait until very end game content to unlock that and then start a brand new character again um but also but these also might be services as well that you're buying so it is an example of world of warcraft let's say for example you have a regular human mage that you've leveled up all the way to the max level and now you've unlocked this, uh, you know, this chunky version of a human, and this is a this is the chunky version of the human that would fit you or your character much better. Well, you can pay for a service to unlock to to re, to respect that. Oh. So if you want to, and I typically think it's around like fifteen bucks, you can go in and you have what they call a race change, and you can go back in and choose a new race to be, so long as it's a playable, so long as it's capable of yeah. being a mage. Yeah. Um, Consist, I'm, consistent with your type. Yeah, I'm a little annoyed because I want to be a thick human and I have a warlock, but they are they're not allowed to be warlocks. I like, it's like I want it to be more accurate to me. Yeah, because I'm a thicker person. Yeah, um, but there's unlocks and stuff like that, and typically these are elements of a game in which it would allow you to progress either quicker through the game or easier through the game. And it might also just be like a time sink, eliminating time sinks as well. So again, like in a fighting game where you might have to spend a prolonged period of time to unlock all the characters. Hey, here's 10 bucks and now I unlock all the characters right away. Yeah. Which is especially great in like a party game, for an example. So like if you were to go play, uh, and as again, Super Smash Brothers, and you were going to go play it at a friend's house, or you're going to have everyone cover and play, they don't wanna, you don't want to have them just play... 
the eight or ten default characters. You wanted to have all forty characters to play with. Yeah. And so that might be uh, that might be an incentive to do that as well. Um, but it might also unlock new modes or um, new ways of doing stuff. Which again, usually meant to either give you um, unlock stuff to either get through quicker or through easier in a lot of cases. Um, and there's more ways to make money if you're a game developer off of games. There's a lot, there's more ways to do it. Those are the ones that kind of I figured came up the most. Do you, do you think, do you, can you think of any that I might've missed by chance or? No, I mean, I think, um, I was just curious as to, because, because I do respect that those cost money. Mm -hmm. Um, there's not, I mean, there are certainly, certainly things you can reuse, but to create a good game costs money. So then how do you make that money back? And this yeah. is a good explanation because I mean, you have, let me see if I get this right. So you have the cartridge that you actually buy and plug in. Yes. Um, or the game that you buy, the box. Yeah, okay. the basic box. And then you have subscription services. Mm -hmm. And now some games might be in the sense of where you don't have to pay an entry fee to play the game. You just have to buy gas constantly. So there was there's some games that are out there um, like... Um, some MMOs basically have an option where you can play the game for free, but if you subscribe to the game, you actually get through the game either quicker or you get more elements of the game, or you, or you get more perks in the game. Like, you can go to more places or you're not gated by a limitation on stuff, on doing stuff on a daily basis. Okay. Um, it'd be like playing, again, it'd be like playing a game on, on, on Facebook and being told, oh, well, you don't have to wait for an hour to do this. You can just, it'll just, you can just progress, keep progressing through. Yeah. Okay. So that there's 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 elements like that. And then and then there's the add-on features that you can buy, whether it's whether it's buying coins, whether it's buying um, actual short sort of shortcuts. Mm -hmm. um, World of Warcraft is a great great option now, where for sixty bucks you can immediately just instantly level a character from one to the max level immediately. How many people take advantage of that? Uh, quite a few. I actually really? wouldn't you want to want... I, I enjoy the leveling process that's yeah. that's me because I also enjoy going back through stuff that's nostalgic and stuff I know really well that's but again that's just me there's some people that just want to get to the max game content because that's where all their friends are and depending on how well you know the content how many times you've played through the content before you may either okay I've played through this content dozens and dozens and dozens of times that's a guy like me already so they, so I may not want to play this through here, or it might take me three or four weeks to level up a character. Meanwhile, I'm not able to play, or if I'm playing my main character, it might take me two or three months to level up another character. So, and, it's, and that's a lot of the reason why, in like World of Warcraft, there's not a lot of people with multiple max level characters, or they're usually focusing on one, two, maybe three at most characters if okay. they are. Okay, it's it's interesting. Yeah. It's all sorts of variants. Yeah, there's a couple different ways. But there's also ways gamers can make money as well. Um, and the big one I like to think of right away, because it's much more doable, for I think, for a lot of gamers, is game testing. Because gamers have a sort... If you're a gamer, and even you don't necessarily have to be a gamer in this particular... In Certain gamers are like first-person shooter gamers. There's other people who are RPG gamers. Myself, I'm an, primarily an MMO gamer. but um, Or there's people who are great at doing uh, puzzles and 2D side-scrollers, things like that. Um, gamers have kind of an inherent knowledge of how things should work and how things should operate. You know, It's like driving and knowing that when somebody does something wrong, you're just like, hey, that guy just ran a red light. You're not supposed to. 
not supposed to do that, you know, as we're, if you're a kid and somebody rolls through a red light, you may not understand necessarily if that's correct or not, maybe. Okay. Um, but game testing is a great way that gamers who are familiar with games can go out and make money testing video games. And I say testing and not playing because, like I explained before in the la- in our last episode, when you're playing, when you're when you're testing a video game, you're not actually playing a polished video game and critiquing it. You're playing often a broken, not fully built out game in which you're just testing elements of the game. Or you might be doing stuff in such a certain way that you have to figure out if doing X, Y, and Z will create incorrect sort of outcomes. So if you can recreate the... Uh... Well, you always, well, so typically as a game tester, um, and this is very much true when I was did it for one summer in college, um, I got put onto a, to a first-person shooter in which um, it was a big, giant open map, um, and my job was to fire rockets everywhere on the map. So I would stand in a single position, I would basically fire rockets into certain geometry elements to see if the ro- to make sure that the rockets exploded on those elements so the collision worked properly. Um, and for that, sometimes for those objects, I would have to be, you know, the entire room away versus sometimes I'd have to be like midway or point blank at it. But my job was to test to make sure when I fired a rocket, it didn't go through the, the world and hit somebody on the other side of the wall. Um, in other cases, it might be you play a video, you're, you're playing, um, a great example of this that I, that I, that I got told was that there was a guy who was playing a, uh, a very early version of a baseball game and it wasn't calculating stats correctly. So he had to go in and manually calculate stats to explain that how the game wasn't correctly applying stats for, for games. But what he learned going on through it was that. He got to like the last game seven of the playoffs against a certain team, and the game crashed when when he did something something in a certain way. That was like maybe like a six hour playthrough to get to that point. So he had to play through the game another six, six hours another six hours to make sure that he could repl- replicate the bug, so that he could explain what he did wrong when it happened. So he had to actually spend a week of playing this game through six through six hours to re- replicate the bug to say. Oh, when you do this, um, and these are the conditions, it happens. And once you figure out whether there's a bug, what you do is you do a write-up on it. So you explain where you were, what was happening, and what conditions you had beforehand to get to the bug. And this is really early in the back of Game Boy's uh, Nintendo days. So this is back in the 80s and very early 90s. Um, so you'd write up a report that says, this is what happens when, you, when I did it, and you would progress on with the game to figure out where the next to find the next bug was well so you would send that report off to the developers they would go in and program it and fix it but that's not but sometimes the fix will break other stuff Stuff, yeah so when you got back the new version of the game you actually had to test it to make sure that that didn't happen and because this thing was very specific he spent another week testing to make sure that it didn't happen again wow yeah so I've seen stories like that. And there's a great web comic that's, um, that's no longer updated anymore. It's done by um, the people who did uh, Penny Arcade, which is a very popular um, web comic, which uh-huh. is kind of, kind of something we might talk about in the future. Okay. Um, it's called The Trenches, and 
the panel story itself was all about people who test video games or develop video games, but there are stories that are that are underneath the comics which are fan pulled in, um, written you know accounts of game testing, and some game testings will show atrocious stories, and other games will show heartwarming stories, and other stories will just be like weird stuff what we found happening. Yeah. Um, and I highly recommend that if you are interested in doing game testing, which is apparently very lucrative, there's some places where you can make, um, you know, anywhere from fifty to seventy thousand dollars a year just get, doing quality assurance game testing. Wow! And but again, I imagine those are for much bigger companies, and it might also depend on the market and the game types as yeah. well. Um, and you don't always get to test. Tell you don't always get to say, "I'm going to play World of Warcraft and I'm going to test to make sure that game works out." You don't always get that option. Yeah. Um, and certainly if you are really good at it, you get paid well for it. Yeah. But there's a lot of, but I also had a time when I was in, again, when I was in college during the summer in which I had 60 hour weeks easily. Um, and that was, and then toward the very end of it, it got to 80 hour weeks because you were working basically six days a week and you would get there at 9am in the morning and you wouldn't leave until nine o'clock in the evening. If that. Yeah. You know, and some people would work later. It's um, a bad point in the industry with it's called crunch in which they think where the impression is that if you just spend as much time as possible on it, it'll get finished. Well, yeah, if you've got a deadline to, to perform to, then then that's what you do. Yeah. I mean, that's that happens in the dot com world all the time. Oh, yeah. But again, yeah. but this is but this is like but when I say crunch, I mean crunch that could that's not just like two or three months. I'm talking about. Nine, ten, nine, ten, twelve months out of a year. Wow. Okay. Um, because again, a lot of people, because there's a lot of game companies that just feel that they have the money to if they just throw enough time onto a game, it'll get completed, and it'll become it'll either be a good game or they'll just complete it. There's a lot of game companies that just make video games to get them out into the world. They don't necessarily do well, but they'll either sell well or contractually they were they built the game. And they spent years making it, so they just need to get a final product out there to try to recuperate yeah. some money. Yeah. Um, so that's not uncommon. Um, we talked about this next one here um, last week, which was the YouTube Twitch model. Yeah. And if you're on Twitch, you're probably on YouTube as well, because um, in Twitch, what you'll do is you'll record your broadcast, and then you'll re-upload it to YouTube. And you can either edit it a little bit or pull out just the highlights. So that way you can make the money off of to so you can recoup so you can make a second set of money as well and this is people subscribing to your youtube channel none this is well not with youtube so okay. through twitch with there's two ways you get paid through twitch you get paid through uh subscriptions so people will pay you x amount of money a month which is an optional sort of thing you can do okay. um to watch you play a game or to watch or to listen to you um and then there's a one-time element called bits. So bits, you, you buy a certain amount of bits for a certain amount of money, and you can gift that to a person as a one-time as a one-time gift. And so oftentimes, what people will do is that if they're um, if you're in a speedrunning sort of sort of person where you play this game at kind of an expert yeah. level, you know, you might go into your thing is like, okay, so this run didn't work out well. Uh, if I get a certain number of bit donations, I'll do it. I'll I'll play this game in a weird way, maybe. Okay. Or somebody might gift you with bits and say, 
you know, can you do this one weird trick in a game that's kind of hard to do? And if you're a speedrunner, you know, and you do this trick all the time, hey, somebody just paid you to, to do a cool trick that you normally would do anyways. Well, if I wanted to learn how to do something, I would pay somebody and have them show me how to do it. Yeah, and that and, and a lot of times people who, <laughs> who watch Twitch um, might be either aspiring programmers themselves trying to figure out the tactics and tricks of people who do this, and there's people who... Um, certainly play these games to teach and coach as well. Okay. Um, when it gets to YouTube, though, you will typically re-upload your broadcast onto YouTube. You might cut out stuff that you don't want to be on there, like maybe you had an expletive, so you might bleep that out, or you yeah. might, um, or during the commercial break, you'll certainly cut that down. So instead of being gone for for ten minutes, you will it'll just appear as like you know, oh, we're going to go to break and we're back. Yeah. So you might cut out those sort of elements. Um, but on YouTube, what you're hoping for is advertisements in, that you'll have in, uh, during your broadcasts, depending yeah. on if that's something you want or not, um, and then views. Because YouTube will pay, after a certain amount of views, depending on how many view counts you get or how many likes you get, um, will pay you for that, but then they'll also pay you for um, the advertisements that people watched on there. So if you okay. have a lot of advertisements... So, if you're in a system set where like you have an advertisement every couple minutes, you know either as a banner ad or as a full like yeah thing, seen, yeah. You, you'll get paid for that based off of how many views you had. So if you had, you know, typically it's going to be it's got to be at least like ten thousand views, if not more. And a lot of the the big companies that do work off YouTube are aiming for views in the tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands and millions. Because they'll get paid out. Because they'll get paid anywhere from about point oh seven cents for every like thousand views. Okay. And if you get like a million views, hey, that's seventy dollars on a video. But yeah. And the pay scale varies from there. Like it's not yeah. that's not a accurate model that I'm projecting there. Okay. Um, what is kind of interesting is that some of the most popular Twitch uh, players that also again are obviously going to be on YouTube are probably making in the millions of dollars. Wow. The most popular ones. Um, but like any sort of market that's kind of flush with a lot of stuff, and there's a lot of people who are also trying to do that. Yeah, a lot um, of competition. Yeah, so there's a lot of competition. These are the, the top people that do that. Yeah. Um, you can also have subscriptions through Patreon as well. Okay. Um, especially on YouTube where people can support you that way monthly to uh, see your content. I do that with a couple of content creators that I really um, – watch and enjoy their media frequently so it's one of those times in which like if you don't i'm a big proponent of if you want to see more of it you have to pay for it even yeah. if you're getting it for yeah, free somebody, somebody's time yeah. yeah somebody's time somebody's effort yeah they you, if you want to support, i do that with a free knitting set yeah yeah um so one of the things so a number of ways again like you can't just point a camera at yourself and play a video game you have to do something unique there has to be something special about you playing a game or you your element of the game so you might have to <coughs> excuse me so you might have to have um interesting commentary or discussion when you're playing a game yeah and there's certainly people online in which you um which i watch because they talk about a game in an interesting way they're coming from a game from a um intellectual psychology standpoint or they're coming from a game from a a video game developer standpoint or they're coming from a game from a comedian comedian sort of aspect like how much you know how much fun can we get out of this dumb game or how much can i enjoy watching people freak out over getting scared by something in a game yeah. or 
How much yeah. can I enjoy people watching playing a bad video game? Yeah. Um, you might also be able to make games by playing against other people. So a lot of games in which you might be, in which there's a multiplayer aspect, you're testing your skills against other people all the time. So, well, you mentioned tournaments. So there's tournaments as well. Those are the um, tournaments and esports are a great way to make money. Um, especially if you're of a, if you play a game professionally uh, to a certain point, which you're really good at it. And these are always going to be multiplayer games. I've, I've seen a couple tournaments where it's about speed running, but not very commonly. Okay. Um, but these are tournaments in which, you know, you get, if you're in like the top, like four, you might win a prize. Okay. Um, there's some people that do make a fair good amount of money, you know, in the, um, hundreds of thousand dollars for their gameplay. Um, but the, and certainly if you're going into esports, um, you can see people that are, um, being sponsored by cities and communities or, uh, brands. Like I think Mountain Dew has a esports team okay. and a couple other like. Soft, a couple other like Rockstar will have ones or they'll sponsor tournaments. Um, but you don't even have to be a professional gamer to be involved in those tournaments either. You could be somebody that's um, um, uh, a commentator on it. So like you might be a, what they call a shock caller, kind of like a, the commentary team on like the wrestling. Okay. That are explaining what's happening as things are going. So it's like, so you might be able to watch a person. Oh, hey, he's building... You know, Example in uh, StarCraft, oh, hey, he's building up a bunch of carriers. He's going for a carrier drive. But, oh, no, the other guy over here, he's building. He's actually building the anti, the counter to the carriers. And he's also building uh, stealth units to kind of come in and go and stealth on the background and the back end side. How cool is that? You know, so these are people that would help explain a game for somebody who's not a fan of the game. Okay. Um, or certainly other people might be referees. So if you know how, how, how a game is certainly played, you can tell when either somebody's cheating or you can be the guy that kind of calls the game at certain points um and especially if you're into gaming as well there might be people who you need help with social media marketing um analytics getting the word out there so there's a lot of ways you can be a part be a gamer and still be a part of this as well even if you're not directly playing the game monetize your skill set yeah and even and again still there's other people that are just coaches so if you understand tactics enough you might be able to be i mean there's teams of professional first person shooter games that have coaches that basically go through and analyze the gameplay and say okay when you go through here you need to do this when you get through here you know and remind you of what you're doing incorrectly so you could have people who are not very good you know much the same way like phil jackson was you know like michael jordan you know the the 90s bulls here were a great team you know, you have Phil Jackson there, which is just pointing them in the right direction and help um, helping maximize their skills. Always, always and need for close. Yeah, yeah. So there's those options there as well. Um, yeah, other ways on Twitch, and also when it comes to uh, esports and tournaments, a lot of those people are already on the Twitch and YouTube model as well. Yeah. Um, again, if you're playing a game professionally for for skill, you're going to show off your skills in Twitch and yeah. be broadcasted on YouTube. So these are people who are going to be making um, quite a bit of money on there. Uh, let's see. Um, one of the less desirable ways you can do it is to uh, farm in-game currency or services. So sort of resell. Sort of. Um, so World of Warcraft is the best example I can find of this because it's more common in World of Warcraft. Um 
but in-game currency or items or certain currency items in games like uh, crafting goods and other stuff might have a um, might have a monetary value you could you can put on it. Okay. Because there's certainly a current in-game currency value you can put on it, and so yeah. um, there used to be this. In this is not a not a good way of explaining this, but um, way way back in the day of very early World of Warcraft, certainly during the vanilla days, the Burning Crusade days, there were uh, what we termed uh, Chinese gold farmers, which is not a correct term, and I apologize for anybody who's offended by this. It. Just what we knew them as, and these were people who played the game just to farm stuff in the game and, and then sell resell it, it for, for oh, actual wow. money. Okay. So and again, and I and we see this all the time in major cities in the game in which people will somebody will make a level one character run into the city and scream out and yell, you know, I'm selling thousands of thousands of gold for only twenty dollars. And then the the account gets banned and they just start a new they just start a new one. Because in World of Warcraft, they give you the first 20 levels for free. Yeah. Um, because they want to entice you to play the game. Now, yeah. there's very limited functions with those free accounts, but they're very easy to create. With. But all, if, you need, if, if all you need it for is to run through the street one day and and uh, yell, I'm giving a da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. yeah. You um, don't care. Or what, it's a burner. Yeah, there's a burner. Or what some people will do, which is always why you should do... Um, I highly always recommend authentications uh, elements. Mm -hmm. There are some game. There, um, there are some people who will hack other people's game accounts. Yeah. So you you know the 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 standard uh, element of phishing, which is basically sending out an email with a link in there that says, "Oh hey, I'm from Blizzard, and you need to update your account settings." And you click on the link, and it looks very much like the original World of Warcraft website. And you yeah. put your information in. Now somebody's got your access to your game. game yeah. If you don't have an authentication thing in there, um, which is always why you should always. Double check what you're clicking on. Always be yeah. very, very cautious of what you're clicking on. You might say HTTP www.worldofwarcraft.com, but then if you kind of mouse your, if you put your mouse over it, it'll go to, it looks like it goes to a different website, yeah. not World of Warcraft. So yeah. um, that's a very, that was a very common thing. But again, there's a lot of people that, um, especially in the sense of World of Warcraft, which here is my game. I don't want to level. I don't want to pay for the level. I, I, you know, this is before the buying the level up perks yeah. initially you know i will play your game and level you all the way up to level to the max level for a fee for a fee got it you know and 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 there's a lot of and there's still some of that still out there again the gold farming is very it's still something that happens very frequently and it's easy to do that because you don't have to because in world of warcraft you can be a little more shadier about how the money is distributed um, especially if you've stolen a person's account and you've sold all their goods, which did happen to me once before. Oh wow! But I did get all my. But again, I I always I always think of Sheldon. Yeah, it's a uh, from uh, Big it's, Bang. Yeah, it's a it's an episode. Yeah, um, but yeah, no. In my case, they they stole all my items, sold all of it, and then when I went to go log in, um, it said I couldn't log in at all because they changed my password. And so I contacted Blizzard and I explained what happened and they were like, oh yeah, I know this happens all the time. You know, um, here's your stuff again. Um, you know, would you like to buy an authenticator, which used to be this little thing on a keychain in which you push a button and it gave you a temporary code. 
Now they have it on my cell phone, which is yeah. much, much yeah. easier. Um, and and I basically told them, that, yeah, put my account on hold until I message you with that authentic with that authenticator. Um, and do you want a next day shipment? It's like, yes, I'll pay for a one day next day shipment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so got my authenticator, got it re, got it installed, and then it was like, yeah, yeah, and played again and got That's that. A good out. tip. Yeah, no, absolutely. Again, it's one of the, definitely one of those things where, um, I what I love it for right now is my PayPal account. Because I can never remember, because it always keeps asking me for my PayPal password. Yeah. Now it has an authentication where it will um, send you a text yeah. with the code. And you put that code in, and then you can log on to your PayPal account. Yeah. So I find it to be much more safe and secure in that particular aspect. Yeah, I do too. I like that feature. Um, so I always recommend authenticators if you have that. Yeah, B of A um, has them. Yeah. And then the last probably major way you can um, make money off of playing video games is through journalism. Oh. So if you play video games enough, you could probably write reviews and strategy guides and things like that for video games or even do YouTube videos on, on that. Um, and even in YouTube, you could also do like tutoring videos as well and coaching videos. Those are common. Those are those are really kind of uh, good elements of Twitch as well in which if you... Like if I were going to start a Twitch channel, I would do it where either one or two different ways in which I would do a series that I would, in which I would teach people playing video games in a very straightforward, simple fashion, much like our podcast here. Yeah. Um, for people who are not who are not familiar with these games, yeah. always intended for people who are not familiar with these games, um, or I'd dress up as a bad guy and pretend to kill the main character over and over and over again in unique and interesting ways. It's the bad guy getting even with the good guy, which there I think would be kind of funny and interesting. It would be, it would be fun. Uh, but much like in the sense of journalism, though, you have to find some unique way of, of standing of out amongst it. the pack. Because yeah. yeah. there are um, there are the really big websites that are out there. And if you're not really on one of those websites, it'll be very hard to find you outside of that. Unless there's something, some unique way you stand out. And some unique ways, examples like that might be, um, there's a gentleman by the name of Yahtzee who does a show called Zero Punctuation. And his his shtick is that he has these simple little black and white characters on a yellow background. And as he's discussing the game that he's playing and how shittily or how great it is, the characters move around and do stuff. And that's how we get... And it's, it was amazingly popular. It's, it kept an entire website up and running for almost a decade. Wow. Um, the Escapist, which in the mid... mid 2010s here floundered quite a bit but this was a, basically the tentpole of the entire website and kept it afloat even through the troubling times that's how good his show was oh, um, there's okay. other there's other individuals like uh, Jim Sterling who has a um, uh, probably a far more aggressive sort of take on video games especially when he's um, lambasting the bad elements of the video game industry but he's in the same way he has a method in which he stands out as well and so it makes him very unique and very recognizable so you have to if you're going to try to do journalism that's something you definitely have to do you have to find um, i find this certainly in the case of anime reviewers as well where everybody has there's dozens and dozens and hundreds of people online who do anime reviews um, but some of the bigger people who do it have a unique way of doing it. Yeah. You it's, know? All, it's all down to presentation. Absolutely. Either down to presentation or a view set on it. So I know, I know one guy who does whole skits to joke about anime. I know another guy that does it as a 
straight version. It has like a grading scale. And I know another guy who takes it from not necessarily viewing the show, but actually just going through all the details in the openings that will tell stuff about the eventual show or telling it about like the world and the presentation. Yeah. So I find that, you know, so again, you have to be unique and interesting um, to do that kind of stuff um, or find a unique way to present it. Because if you don't, then it's not going to, that's never going to sell at the end of the day, which is part of the problem. Yeah. Um, but those are kind of the major ways. There's other ways gamers can make money off of video games. Um, one example, especially when it comes to like speed writing as an example, um, there is a, um, there is a fundraiser called Games Done Quick or, uh, Sour Games Done Quick in some cases, um, in which speedrunners play video games or play games in, un- in a unique way. Um, and the intent of that fundraiser is to play the games and accept donations and the money usually goes to Doctors Without Borders or other good charitable funds at the end of the day. That's nice. Um, and so they'll present their stuff on Twitch and they'll people will come in to play uh, certain video games over uh, a period of time. Um, and usually it lasts for about a week and a half or so, uh, depending on the... on the Because obviously you, they want you to play a game from beginning to end. Yeah. And some games might only take a half hour to beat, or some games might only take an hour to beat. Some games might take six or seven hours to beat, and so yeah. it'll differ a little bit. But it's a, it's a. I find it to be. Uh, I find nerds doing fundraisers to help people to be so fascinating because it's, it's pretty cool. And you participate in one, so. Oh yeah, no, I highly recommend Child's Play. Um, also done by the people who did Penny Arcade in the Trenches, um, because it gets money to. Um, to it gets entertainment to people who would otherwise be able to afford it in certain situations. So primarily it was originally to give video games to sick kids in hospitals because that's not something hospitals want to spend money on to entertain a kid, but the kid just wants to be a kid and a video game and a game boy in their hand might make it much easier for them to do a, procedure on a kid when the kid's distracted or focused on something else or knows i actually saw that um in uh, a friend whose whose child was at lucille packard in icu Mm -hmm. and you saw the the uh the kids played they have a special logo on the on the equipment yeah and um and it's not just video games now now they're also doing dvds and books and toys for these things i saw it on a switch which i thought was kind of fun yeah and then they also um, and then they're also actually supporting battered women shelters as well oh, because wow. that makes a lot of sense obviously yeah, um, tie-in. yeah. As, as a tie-in there too so um again i find it very interesting i find it fascinating when nerds allow their nerdiness to be a, a, a sign of great hope because again we'll have other people who do that for other stuff, and I like to see that nerds are doing it for similar things. That yep. nerds can be just as important or a part of that as well. Yeah, they're empathetic. Oh, we're, we're totally empathetic. We totally yeah. under, we totally want to help as best as possible. We just yeah. we just don't know how to because again, one of our weird skills. Oh, no, okay. n- again, very few people want to want to watch a, a group of people play Dungeons and Dragons. But that's actually a very popular thing as well on YouTube, where people playing Dungeons and Dragons. I when when we did that that particular series of episodes, that was a hoot. Yeah, there's all sorts of. Uh... Uh, again, I, I hate to go back to it. The Penny Arcade guys have a uh, for every convention they go to, they have a a D and D campaign called Acquisitions Incorporated, and they've had like different 
other celebrity guests on there. Lately, they've had a WWE superstar on there with their party. Um, And so they often have people from Wizards of the Coast that make the game that come and do that. Um, and it's very popular um, on YouTube and other other venues as well. And other people who just play games online as well. Yeah. Um, again, you can play games online. It's a great way to do it. And you can record yourself doing it and post it on YouTube or Twitch. You just have to have a unique way of presenting it or doing it. Yeah. Um, so that way um, people will be able to see you, find you, and say, hey, I want to see you again doing that. So. But what do you think of this, of people making money in video games? Well, you no, know, I think it's fascinating. I mean, every, everything in the world could be monetized and, and all, but there's a, there's a broad range of ways to do this. Yeah, and there's um, certainly with a lot of people indoors right now, opportunities that they could be taken, that they might, yeah. that they may not originally be aware of being taken advantage of. And again, I, from my point of view, like I don't like watching people play video games online because I just want to be playing the video games online. Yeah. But what I see people are doing in games in a unique and interesting way, um, have an interesting commentary on it, or like one of my favorite Twitches was a guy who was the original developer of World of Warcraft playing the classic version of World of Warcraft and explaining, oh yeah, I remember the name in which we built this and telling interesting stories about how we built this or the stuff that it they did. It would be fun. I always, I always like the, the behind-the-scenes movie things that they'll stick at the end of those a DVD. Fa- those are my favorite yeah. parts of movies. Yeah. Um, or in my case, if it's an older game that I remember playing as a kid, watching somebody else play it at a professional level is kind of interesting as well to be like, oh, wow, I didn't know you could do that in a game. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, so we're going to post all these notes on our website at the nerdtutorialpodcast.com, and then we'll also have it, um, we'll also have a link to it on our uh, Facebook page at facebook.com nerdtutorialpodcast, and so you can follow along with us there. Um, and if you have any questions, comments, or future ideas for topics, you can always message me on nerd underscore tutorial, where we're also following all the various topics that we always cover. So if you want to find out news about the Batman or other stuff that we've uh, re- uh, reviewed in the past, you can visit it there. I so hope these movies come out soon. They look so good. I can't wait for can't wait for all this stuff happening to stop. We can go back to watching movies in theaters again. Yeah, that's true. So... Um, but on behalf of myself and my mom, we thank you so much for uh, listening to us here today. We'll come back with you guys next week. Bye. Bye.